0: Hey there, freedom fighters! My name is Andrew Warner, and I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas, from a very rambunctious and wild house today. I've got with me Ira Belsky. He is the founder of Artlist, which um, it's a subscription service that offers royalty-free music and sound effects for people who are for YouTubers, podcasters like me, and anyone who's creating and doesn't want to have to you know deal with copyright strikes and other issues. And frankly, wants to pay the artists and get good collection of music. Dude, here's why it's crazy here my fr- my kid's teacher got covid which is fine she seems to be doing okay i take my kid into school suddenly they say school's closed and i what am i going to do and so we have just been inviting their my kids friends over to the house and every day it seems to be another kid and another kid and another kid we basically have a a kindergarten up there of kids who are screaming i don't know what's going on
1: that's where I am. You have you impacted by COVID like this? Uh, pretty much. That's why I'm in the office, which is actually closed and no one is in here. But I'm here because at home, everyone's at home. Yeah, my my uh, daughter kindergarten as well. I think today was the first day after a week she haven't gone because they had COVID as well. Um, yeah, I think we're just uh, pushing through it right now.
0: Yeah, it is. It, yeah. I guess for the most part, we're doing okay, but it's it's challenging me because it is a lot of noise. And I'd like to know if the audience could hear it on mic. I'm doing everything I can to reduce the pickup, but they literally are screaming right now. They're wrestling. I might get arrested,
1: <laughs> but this is
0: Texas. Nobody cares. As long as they're not shooting like other people, this is Texas, <laughs> they're fine. Um, <laughs>
1: Sounds good. I don't hear any of it. And uh, yeah, uh, I think these these are the COVID type problems. You know, I have... A little girl dressed up as Snow White goes into <laughs> all of my meetings taking stickers from behind me. And I'm like.
0: Yeah, I guess to some degree, it's nice that it brings in some atmosphere. The other part that I like is that it's making me want to understand the equipment that I use better and create equipment collections that allow me to record in loud noises outside of the house and so on. And dude, that's where I end up finding you. You're. F- People on freaking YouTube, I get lost in these videos about mics and stuff.
1: They talk about you because you pay them an affiliate commission. Am I right? We we use a lot of affiliates, yeah, in terms of like influencers, YouTubers, all of them, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I shouldn't say that it's just because of the affiliate commission. It's that there's an affiliate commission. They also like you. And once you get hooked in with a certain provider for, for music you just kind of have your your favorites and your playlists and your selections and you're into it and you get excited about it. And so I've seen that a lot of people are excited about Artlist. We're going to find out how you built up this company. We're going to find out why you're not going to tell me what your revenue is and how close you will come to telling me your revenue. And we can do it thanks to two phenomenal companies. The first, if anyone out there is hiring a developer, and who isn't these days, you should go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. I'll tell you later why they're going to get you great developers at a fantastic price. And if you're paying people... 1099 W2s, whatever you need Gusto, and I'll tell you later why you should go to gustocom slash Mixergy. Ira, why are you not going to tell me your revenue, man?
1: Private company, you know. Give me a sense of the ballpark. Where Where
0: are we? Are we in the in the thousands? In the millions? Give me Give me a ballpark.
1: No, we're in the upper tens of millions.
0: Upper tens of millions. Yeah. How much funding do you guys take on?
1: Uh, We don't like tell full amount. Uh, We had one. External round that we actually announced was $48 million from KKR. Uh, but other than that, uh, we haven't disclosed numbers of rounds.
0: KKR, those are the people behind the um, the movie Barbarians at the Gate, Colbert, Kravitz, and Roberts. I used to admire them so much as a kid.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, are you a it's, business it's person a, like it, that? It's a good brand name to have on your side, for sure.
0: Yeah. Did, were you the type of person who would read about Kohlberg, Kravitz, and Roberts? No. What, were you, what type of kid were you? When I was fantasizing about being like a big shot entrepreneur, what were you fantasizing as, as a kid?
1: Um, playing football or in the rest of the world, football in America, soccer. Soccer. Um, drawing, making silly videos, learning how to do video. I think that was me growing up.
0: I heard that you were trying to be a filmmaker as a kid
1: yeah i was actually that was the beginning of my professional career so i started as a as a filmmaker i did like editing shooting after effects um did a bunch of like corporate videos music videos commercial all these type of things uh, over in israel and actually that's how i was like you know what the, the sites i'm i'm using for music aren't that great i think or have, are not serving me the way i want to be what was music. wrong with
0: them Wait, we're talking about what year was this roughly?
1: This was two thousand. So I was doing it two thousand, probably in nine, all the way through two thousand fifteen, sixteen. When I started Artlist, mm-hmm. um, still did it a bit while starting Artlist, but you know, pretty quickly we realized this could be a big thing, and I stopped. Um, and yeah, look, the the, this, the industry, like creator economy in general have been going through a tremendous change. So you're going from few people, fortunate people, doing shows for HBO and cinema and all this cool stuff that actually can have the tools to create, but also to distribute and make sure people watch it, and the rest of the world, which you you, you couldn't really without big budget create anything and let alone distribute it to anyone to watch. Um, And then fast forward to today and we're talking about like a 10, 15 years transition, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people have access to equipment, but also to distribution and they are creating content for the world. And the Uh, idea,
0: even back when people were creating 10 years ago for YouTube, the idea that they would care about the music that they have was just, just laughable because no one would invest money in music for background. They might use something that was copyrighted, maybe not, or just not have any music in the background at all. But now every amateur is professionalizing their stuff. And they know that even if they're doing an explainer video with a talking head, they still need some kind of background music. And if they're going to do that, they don't want to get their stuff taken off and they don't want something that feels blah. So that whole thing changed. But when you were doing it, were we talking about, this wasn't the CD days. This wasn't the hunt around for music days. This was, there were online services back when you started 2009. You can go in, you could do searches. So tell me, what are the problems that you saw in them? Because to me, it felt like they were on the right track and they were they were right for their time.
1: So I think that each of them was right for their sort of time. So when we fast forward from 2009, when I started doing it this professionally to 2015, when we decided to start Artlist, most of the service says that we'll, we'll build for this sort of demographic um, will really sort of focusing on old stock libraries they weren't like good quality music and when you wanted good quality music it was very expensive hard to license so for me as an individual i was like i need a lawyer to help me read through this license
0: because you have to license individual tracks
1: individual tracks but also specify you know how many people will watch the video Ah. who's your client what is it for and it was really intimidating for me as like you know small-time creator Um, Combine that with the fact that it was expensive, um, we saw this gap between like, okay, these these services I can afford and the license is easy. And on the other side, you know, I really want this music, but I, you know, it's hard for me to afford it. But also it's very complicated. How can we bridge that gap? Um, So we thought of it in the lens of, can we create a one universal license that covers everything? 100% sort of clear peace of mind. On the other hand, offer this through a subscription, an annual subscription where you can get unlimited downloads. The price point is in a range where most people who do this more than once or twice can afford it. and I think that was, and then combining that, you're, obviously- You're with, a
0: filmmaker though. Why would you want to stop being a filmmaker to be an entrepreneur? Is it because everyone in Israel feels like they have to be an entrepreneur because they see people getting rich left and right?
1: It's it's funny, but when we started this, I think I was furthest away from thinking I'm becoming an entrepreneur. It was like, I, and I didn't, th- I didn't think back then that I would stop being a filmmaker. So I was like, okay, this seems like a good product that people will love using. I think we can do it as a side gig like I you know we were four co-founders two of them came from the music industry one came from tech I think we can just build this on our own and then have this be our side gig so that was the this was going to be a side hustle at the beginning it was I don't know I don't I don't think we even knew what it's going to be we're like this makes sense let's build it and see where it
0: us. Tell me, what what was the site called back then? Because I went to Internet Archive, and when I do artlist.io search on there, nothing comes up for before, what, 2016? So what was it called?
1: No, it, it, it launched in 2016.
0: Oh, so 2009, you're buying your competitor's products. You're still not happy with it. It took you like seven years to say, you know what? Let's finally go and create
1: this thing? Uh, it was me, you know, just learning how to become a professional filmmaker, thinking this is my career path. Um, and yeah, I was, I was just doing video and yeah, one day after telling my friends for many, many years, you guys should submit your music <laughs> to these services. I was like, why won't we build a service of our own? I think, you know, I think we can, we can build something that have enough value for people to switch to it.
0: Okay. All right. And then when you built it, what did you build the first version using in 2016?
1: Wow. A, I'm not a tech person. I can tell you that I was designing it and I was designing it on Photoshop. So this was pre-Figma okay. days and all of that. And it was like Photoshop to HTML.
0: It also gives me a sense of like the artist that you are, that you're the person who's going to sit and actually use this, the software to design it and make it look good.
1: Yeah, it was, um, I, I always like doing all types of, of sort of creation, digital creation. I like all of it. I'm not a talented person. Musician, So I don't do music, unfortunately, but all visual um, art forms. I really, really loved, you know, since being a kid. Um, so, yeah, so I, I actually designed the first versions of the website. Some of the later ones as well. Um, I don't consider myself a designer per se. I think, you know, I respect people who learn this and this is the profession. But I think I'm a good designer for art list. Because I know so much and I have so much already accumulated in terms of like, you know, who we are, what we should look like. like I
0: wonder what sticks out for you. Here's what sticks out for me now that the original site is uh, loading up on my screen. Top right, it says there's a button that says all artworks. And that's like one of the indications you could see that something was created outside the US for the US. Like in the US, you would say all artwork. But once you go outside, it's artworks.
1: Where do you see it?
0: Top right of the uh, Artlist site from April 2nd, 2016.
1: Oh, 20 seconds. I'm going 16, way, way yeah. back.
0: Oh, I like that that bothered you, that you were wondering, did somebody put that up on the site right now? I
1: gotta, <laughs> that, that does not stop the podcast. belong on the site right now.
0: So what, what stands out for you when you think about the first version? What are you proud of having put on there? And what do you feel like uh, this is not really right?
1: A lot of it wasn't right, but I think... We were so focused on user value that it didn't really matter, you know, it had enough focus and we understood enough of what we thought users would want uh, to be in a position where we can do this as a bootstrap, where we didn't have any investors and people actually bought it before we had the dollar to spend on marketing. And we can okay. then later on spend yeah. the revenue on marketing. So. I think we identify a few things back then that holds all through today. I think one of them in terms of, and I'm talking specifically on music for video because we did so much more than that, are doing so much more than that now, but we identified the fact that stock libraries at that time were really generic. So you had like an album with a, a image, like a generic image of a sun on it, and it called, it was called Happy Tunes Corporate something. Yeah. And the sound sounded like all of this. And we were like, no, people artists want work from real artists. And we were like, we're not gonna put song name on the front, we're gonna put real musicians. So we we were really high on like putting musician faces and real names, real album covers, because we knew we had superior music that comes from real working recording musicians. So I think that's something that we still value today. I think focusing all of our choices around the creative freedom of the users, something that we started back then and haven't changed one bit all the way to today. So the main value we always look for is cre- creative freedom. Ira,
0: um, sorry, my, my five-year-old is here. What's going on, Riv? Where your backpack is? No, it's probably upstairs. <laughs> sorry, bud. <laughs> I told you. Way to go, kid. Um, I like that he's aware. And this was at 200 bucks a year. That was the offer. Was it hard to get the, the musicians to sign up and participate?
1: Initially, we, we, this was a good, the good part of having two co-founders who are musicians. So they reached out to people they already knew. They recorded a the whole bunch on their own. So we worked on this for a year and a half. So they worked with other talented musicians, trying to compile a decent catalog to start with. After we launched and we started, it was easier after the first year of paying royalties, it exploded and to, to a point where, you know, we get thousands of submissions a month and it's more work of just figuring out what's right. We're highly curated. So we expect, accept very low percentage out of submissions mm-hmm. to join the catalog. Um Dude, I I don't want to –
0: by the way, what you said before my kid came down here, I don't want to brush over. The idea that there were people who just had generic music and then they had a generic look. Dude, I freaking signed up for a service like that recently because it was one-time price and you get to keep the music forever. And I said, why am I paying subscriptions? Let's sign up for this. Everything sounds like the crappiest corporate videos from (laughs) 1980. It's so bad. It's so bad. And there's a ton of it. So I think – What's wrong with me? I'm not searching right. Why am I not? And then I finally, just after spending an hour, I said, "Sunk costs. Except that you paid what a hundred, two hundred bucks, whatever it is. Just wave it goodbye and move on. It is so bad, so bad.
1: So yeah. that is terrible. What I and think then you that you need they're to d- ask yourself: Does the save of the money worth the time I'm going to spend and the quality of videos I'm going to produce with this?
0: Yeah, it's, it's so bad. It's there, so bad. There is
1: no way of providing like a good service this way. We have teams of like tens of people curating, choosing music, creating music. But the music. deal,
0: Ira, in the beginning was give us your music. We'll charge an annual fee. We'll take some portion of that annual fee for us. And we'll divide the rest among all the artists based on their percentage of downloads. Am I right? Exactly. exactly. That was it. How much did you say that you were going to keep for yourself?
1: Um, so we we don't fully disclose the percentage amount, but I can say that we, on average, pay more than any other service. Like, like, so, like, like I, can, your, I can even mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. it's in the thousands of dollars a year on average. If you go on average on different services, some people make pennies. No, but I mean,
0: do you do you disclose what percentage you keep for yourself as a company versus what percentage you share with the with the artist? Is it fifty percent for Artlist, fifty percent for the artist?
1: So obviously we share it with uh, with contributors. They sign an agreement, but we don't we don't share it. Publicly, you guess.
0: don't. Oh, I see. So a contributor, a musician who submits music, will know what percentage uh, course, that musician and all the mu- pool of musicians share uh, among themselves. Got it. But you're not going to share it with. with you're that, not going to tell us.
1: Yeah, of course. And they get a dashboard okay. that they can track the performance on real Their time downloads and, and see what works. Yeah, yeah. All right. I get
0: that. And so that's a pretty straight up easy deal for you to manage. It's not like you have to put up money up front. You get musicians to contribute their content. Then you have the website built. What did, Do you know what the website was built on? I still can't figure it out from back then.
1: Uh, as I said, I'm not a tech person. Probably very, very old <laughs> technology, but uh, I'm not the right person for that.
0: Okay. All right. So you had the site, you had some artists. Do you remember how how many songs you got in the first version? I'm still trying to hunt that down.
1: I think six, 700. That's it.
0: Six or 700 and then $200 a year. All right. That makes sense if it's curated. So let's, let's then talk about how you ended up getting customers, but you know what? I'm going to take a moment to talk about my sponsor and that sponsor is Gusto. I'm actually, you know what? I had this idea instead of me, telling you why people should go sign up for Gusto. I'm actually going to switch tabs away from you, Ira. So I can't tell if you're disappointed in this or not, but we should still keep talking. I'm just going to read what US News and World Report says, only because that's the first search result when I did a a search for Gusto payroll software software review. Here's what they say. They call it the best payroll software of 2022. They give it 4.3 out of five stars. Here's what they say. I'm just going to read them instead of me doing my own marketing. Gusto started a Zen payroll back in 2012. Its three founders live together in Palo Alto. This is actually not the... Let me go back to the review. Here's a review. Gusto places number one in our rating... Of the best payroll software for 2022, it offers three plans that range in price and are designed to meet a wide variety of needs at $39 per month plus $6 per employee. Its core plan isn't the cheapest we've reviewed, but it's still affordable, and it comes with everything you need to run payroll. All three of Gusto's plans include automated payroll for salaried employees, unlimited payroll runs, direct deposit, tax filings, W-2, and 1099s, and so much more. Gusto offers health insurance in most states. You can use it to build benefits package for your employees. This is just, I'm going to keep on going and going, but it keeps on going. I'm not going to keep on reading it. Instead, I'm just going to jump to the pluses and minuses. Here's what they have for the pluses. Gusto is best for companies that needed to file taxes in multiple states tech lovers, new businesses, companies that are only paying independent contractors, and for people that hate extra fees. Gusto is not recommended for businesses looking for the most affordable self-service payroll software, though i got to say $39 a month plus a few bucks per employee. That's not expensive. And it's not recommended for people who want to run household payroll. I agree. And it's not recommended for users who want expert support during evening and weekend, but you will get it during the week. I had a call for, with them yesterday. Yesterday happened to be Malcolm uh, Martin Luther King Day. They weren't there. Today, they're there, but there's a phone number. I can talk to a human being today, and I can't do it in the middle of the night, but I can do it once you and I are done with this uh, with this podcast, Ira. They're good service, good people standing behind them. I've talked about them. My guests have talked about them. If you want to sign up, go to gusto.com mixergy. They'll let you use their service for free for a limited time, and then you'll have that low price that um, US News and World Report says is not very low, but
1: $39 a month, It's not is not, a lot, right, Ira? Nah. I, again, I'm not, I'm not that, that big on, on how these should cost, so I wouldn't... You're not handling to me, the but, business but side but it, of things. Yeah. I'm, I'm handling the business side of things, but we're using, you know, we have a CFO. We have people doing, like, I don't know what services. In the early
0: in. days, were you the person who was paying people, doing payroll, that whole thing?
1: Um, we actually, when we started, we didn't have payroll at all. <laughs> Because, it was
0: just you co-founders working together.
1: Yeah, it was us. Um, and later on, we took this like external accounting firm that helped us all the way till we couldn't for like our own. So they did payroll and all of that.
0: All right, let's talk about then how you got to the place where you can start bringing in people to help out. Where did the first customers come from?
1: So we actually ran these um, sort of, because I knew uh, I was getting my information from like blogs and YouTubers, I just reached out to them saying, hey, we're building this thing. Do you want to be a part of a, test a beta, beta, beta testing? And then we said, okay, we're going to, we like did an announcement that it's coming out. Um, sorry, my speaker, besides the think I say, hey, Oh,
0: which one do you have? It. Do you have the, the Google speaker?
1: No, the banging offs and... I don't know how they call it. What's
0: what's a smart uh what's the smart assistant service on there? I think Google. Google. I think she, uh, Okay.
1: She thought I said "Hey Google." Um, yeah. in any in any case. Um, so so we reached out to them. We rolled out like a pre-announcement and then we said, "Okay, we're giving away five free, free songs anyone subscribe to anyone subscribed to a newsletter." Just traditional old-school marketing. No funds at all.
0: I got to say, though, that's good marketing, though, because for most people, five songs will get you through one video, get you through multiple, um, multiple pieces of content. That's a great idea.
1: I agree. And then and then by the time we launched, all of them wrote about us, um, or at least a few of them, the big ones. What's a big
0: one that wrote about you?
1: uh it, they're, they're big in the filmmaking community so it was a uh, cinema 5d now they're called cine news shooters uh, no film school uh, it's like big blogs in the in our space and this
0: was you sitting down emailing them all saying will you write about this i think this is good can i give you a free membership is that what it was
1: yeah yeah check it okay. out give us feedback um all that i i believe that they're gonna write about it because i knew that The value we're bringing is so much better than anything else out there. So I thought, you know, this is a good news story. This is not a promotion. And once they did, you know, we started and people started to buy the subscription without us. You know, there's a funny story we tell where we, a day before we said we're going to launch, we said, okay, let's put the site up for like five minutes and test the real funnel, like with, with a credit card. And before we were able to buy it, someone else actually bought the subscription before us. So ah. people were actually going in, refreshing, waiting for this to launch. Uh, and back then we were like, okay, there's, you know, something is going on. And then l- later on, a day after when we actually put it up, people started buying it. we were like, okay, there is an opportunity. At the beginning, I started to use the money to advertise on Google and Facebook. Zero idea on how to do that. Later on, one of our first employees, who is currently the CMO, joined there's a friend who was doing online marketing and started helping us with that. Um and yeah we just grew it from there.
0: And so as the thing that I'm wondering is that's the beginning. What's the thing that got you like the burst? What's the I find that there are milestones and there are these things that just shoot you up in uh audience size. What's the first one?
1: So it's it was actually sort of gradual. So we grew like a hundred percent year over since we started. So the first year was easy because we gathered subscription and then the second year started. Now we have two years, we have another year of renewals, we had good retention rate, people are sticking. Great. Then we said, okay, what are we gonna do next? And we start we looked at our audience and said, okay, what else do they need? What do we think as a company we're good at that we can, you know, start doing more of it? And we're like, we're good at understanding what they need. And we're good at building catalogs. So we said, okay, let's build a stock footage catalog. Uh, We call it Art Grid. Followed all of our first sort of principles of how we should build things. And by the way, this was an idea we had before launching the music website. Uh, but we we put it aside. Stock and then-
0: footage is video that people can use in their video. So you may not be able to get a drone over the uh, Golden Gate Bridge because they don't allow them. But somebody had a helicopter over, took video, and they're making it available. And for someone who just wants to set the, the scene and say, we're in San Francisco, it doesn't matter that they didn't shoot it. Two-second clip, they get it, and then they... They use their own footage for the rest.
1: Yeah, you can do amazing things with it. You can, if you do a YouTube video telling a story of something you and you're talking about, I don't know, whatever, traveling to a, a destination, you, you can put on, on your voiceover footage of airplanes and then the destination yeah. all of that without traveling anywhere. And all of it is super high quality. So we launched that and then we got sort of two products and they're growing great. And we start building brand name. Um, And then we added sound effect to the music website, just following the same principles. And then in 2020, at the end of the year, we acquired a company called Motion Array. And Motion Array was doing a lot of what we did, but was very famous around templates. So they had Mm -hmm. a lot of like pre-ready-made effects projects that you can import to Premiere Pro or any other editor or, or, or After Effects. And you can edit everything to make it your own um so and we acquired them in 2020 this was actually we we announced the deal price and all of this so this was this was for 65 million dollars uh and this was another boost so now we have sort of a big array of solutions for video creators, and we're a well-renowned name in this space mainly in assets in digital assets and then for us was the in if you know The obvious next step was how can we get into the creation process? What do they need before they need to license assets is they need something to edit on. So about six months ago, we also acquired another company called FX Home and they have been developing for the past 20 years, editing solutions, After Effects uh, alternative solutions, um, image editing solutions. Um, and we're now working with them on a first pr- new release of the product under our sort of branding and all of that uh, that should be rolling out soon with new features and new onboarding. And with that, we're pretty much covering all pre-production video needs. And and that's sort of our set of mind. Is FX Home about mo-
0: It's I could edit my full YouTube video on FX Home.
1: You can edit Hollywood videos, at Netflix but you can edit your YouTube video for sure.
0: (laughs) You know, I want to go back a little bit before we get into all this. I like the big summary, but I want to go back to the first year because you told our producer in the first year, you surpassed a million dollars in annual recurring revenue and at that point you said we're quitting our jobs we can focus on this full time. Yeah. Was that just from the blogs that were writing about you and the limited amount of advertising that you were doing Ira?
1: No, so I think it took us a few months to start doing more professional advertising. Um well um we we got the first sort of real marketing person in and he was doing more professional um um advertising. So this was this happened during the first year, but I can tell you that I think it took us a few weeks, if not like one or two months to cover all of our investment um, and be on the upside where we said, okay, now we can invest back. Um, and that was all like organic, like we didn't invest anything by that point.
0: So no advertising, you were able to make back the money you invested in the business, which was how much? This was your own money
1: yeah nothing like uh ten twenty thousand, yeah tens of thousands of dollars. I don't even remember the
0: okay all right, and so then it's just because these blogs are writing about you, people are paying two hundred dollars at a time, and so you get to bank the money early and then spread out your expenses uh over the year based on how much they're they're being used. Wow, that's a pretty decent model there and so and then once you got good at advertising was Was advertising what got you to the next, say, $5 million in revenue?
1: Yeah, I think we are extremely good at marketing and creative. So I think we have extremely talented people over here. Um, At the end of the day, when we started, we knew that we're advertising to a tough crowd. People creating video are very judgmental about video. And we're, uh, yeah. we're selling them with ads that are video, essentially, most of them. Yeah. But we saw an opportunity as well. We were like, okay, a lot of, most brands are doing a, a mix of performance marketing and branded marketing. We, I don't know if anyone else used this term, but did something we call sort of brand for- performance or uh, where we say, okay, we can do a performance ad, but we can it in a way that speaks to how we as a brand create things. So if we do it high quality, if we tell a good story, if the craft is good and we're consistent, then we're building a brand through like highly performance style commercials. Um, and I think that's something we started very early and have been developing ever since. And is, is, is a good part of how we, where work. were
0: you doing these commercials Are these YouTube
1: videos you're talking about? YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, now TikTok, everywhere people watch videos.
0: Got it. And so you were starting to put these videos out and that's what brought you customers.
1: It, it was a mix of that and and like traditional search and banners, advertising. But I think that's what sort of built the brand.
0: Okay. And then you said the next thing was having a video. What is it? Stock video to include, right? Yep. How did you know that would be the next thing?
1: It was just, so intuitive for us. Like we knew that the same problem existed in stock uh, video and we knew we have our way of thinking about how we can solve them. Um, So it was like, okay, we know how to build a catalog. We know the audience. We know what are the gaps in the current industry. Um, So it was like, you know, it checked all boxes. It's a cross sell to all our existing users. Um, Just makes a ton of sense we didn't have a ton of data back then to support our decisions uh but uh, you know it was it was a lot more gut driven than we do things now but it worked out
0: what's the process now then to figure out what to add uh,
1: 2021 in general was a year where we focused on data as as a company where we said okay we need to sort all of it out we need a full dedicated team to bring us to a situation where um, we have insight, where when we release the new features, we have KPIs measured already when it goes live and are tracked in real time, uh, where we can provide analysts to every type of sort of employee in the company from content to marketing, to design, um, finance, obviously, and all of that. So. I think now we're at an amazing point where we can actually have visibility on how things work.
0: Meaning everyone at the company needs to know how their their piece of the company performed.
1: I think when you build it right from the grounds up, where teams work with personal teams, OKRs and KPIs, and they understand what they're trying to achieve and optimize for. And that's, by the way... A, a, one of the biggest ways you can give them uh, autonomy as well, where they you, you can trust them to work on their own because they know what to optimize for. Then they need good data tools to help them keep track and make sure if they're in the right direction and analyze if not what's going wrong or if there's an opportunity where the opportunity lies. So yeah, I think data is is a crucial way to help decision-making.
0: Do you have an example of a part of the company that's not easy to give a metric to that you had to wrestle with? Yeah. What is that?
1: Legal? Legal is still hard. Really? Yeah. it's So hard what did you end up doing? Some of them are really responsive. You're like, okay, what are we going to do? We don't know because we don't know what, hap- what will happen in the future. We have a percentage of work that we're going to do. How do you measure it? How do you optimize for it? Because at the end of the day, You also need to be very, very smart with setting up goals. Because just as an example, you want to set up goals, like let's say for original music production. And you're like, create this amount of songs, but then maybe the the songs aren't good for the users. How do you know that they're not just filling the OKR with songs and they actually work? And then you go to like downloads of those songs, but that doesn't only get determined by them because there are other teams like product and curation that influence that metric. And then you start, it it becomes very complex and all, every team needs to sort of isolate what they can track that actually identify something that they can control and measure their success in producing value.
0: So what did you do then about music? So if you say we need to have more music on the platform that we create in-house, how did you make sure that it was the music that your creators wanted. And I could imagine that what you do is you, you base it on downloads. Wow. And suddenly there's a helicopter going over. Um, but even if there's, even if you base it on downloads, that doesn't come in until far into the future, until after the music's created, right. And people discover it. And sometimes you don't need a lot of downloads. You just want to know that that hole in the library is filled. So how did you handle that?
1: Yeah, so we tried like, and there's a fine balance as well, because you do original production and then, you you know, it's very easy to say, let's try to get as many royalties as we can. But that's not the goal for us as a company. For us, the goal as a company is to create the most value for the user. So if he's searching for something and an external song that we didn't produce is better for him, we want that song to appear first. We don't want to prioritize our things in the risk of harming user value. So the goal was always creating the best product for the user. So it's a joint effort between like A&R of external artists and original to feel sort of the scope of the catalog in a way that is sustainable. Um, But then you can also say, okay, downloads reflects which song the user heard. And that does not get controlled by original. Someone else sort it or an algorithm sort it. Right. So then you can start building like metrics that are the ratio from plays to downloads. So, and then you measure like percentage Uh, of success in that. So it really, really depends, but it is tricky. It's tricky.
0: When you told our producer that the challenge of changing the way that you lead when the company went from what, from like something like, here we go, growing from five to 10 million was manageable growing to tens of millions in revenue was daunting. And you want, am I, am I right about that? Daunting?
1: Nah. Maybe, you didn't use
0: the word daunting. What's the word you used? What would you, just? Des- how would you describe
1: maybe it? Maybe demanding. It okay. More, uh, you know, the, it's funny when we started, I, I think no one says it to me right now, but when we started, I remember it was just the four of us. And then we started to get to hire extra people and we we're like 20 or 30 and I worked harder. And some of my friends were like, "Now you have employees. Why do you work harder?" I was like, it, "It works the opposite way. When you have employees, you just have more work around everything." And obviously, now we crossed the 300 employees. Actually, this week, um, the work is more demanding. You have, you know, at the end of the day, leading a 300 people company. Me and my other co-CEO, co-founder you have more responsibility to these people. You know, we do what we do in big portion to them, uh, for them, for the contributors, for the users. And the more you have, uh, the more responsibility you feel in making sure you build the right infrastructure for all of them to create, because all of them are creators. The employees create the product, the musicians create the music, the users create something, a video from it. And we need to, so at the end of the day, support creation, whatever, and it just get more and more demanding, I think, in that sense.
0: So I wonder what you did to get good at that. But you know what? Let me take a moment, and talk about, But and don't give me that it's not a problem. It wasn't difficult. Like, really go deep and say, here's the one thing that allowed me to get there. And then I want to know why you're getting into a space that Adobe and Apple and so many others are in when it feels like that's daunting video editing but first i should tell you that my second sponsor is lemon.io i don't th- so i don't think that actually reading directly a review from uh, g2.com is where i got the review w- was no that last one was from newsweek was very good i'm gonna try from g2 a review for lemon.io i want you to be open with me ira tell me does this sound too stilted does this sound too forced i'm gonna try it i'm trying to like mess around with these advertising Here we go. So the first review that I saw right there on G2 for Lemon was, um, which is a service where you can hire developers inexpensively that are vetted and are amazing and are quick to get started with. Um, What do you like best? The person says, great service. Lemon.io connected us with a great dev who understands exactly what we want and produces quality work. What do you dislike? The first developer we had was not the best. His communication was poor, and he overcharged us with more hours than required. However, when we asked for a new developer, Malki, who's the person over at Lemon.io, connected us with Anton, and we have been happy ever since. What problems are you solving with this? What are the benefits you realize? This person says we needed a reliable dev to finish developing an MVP of our app. So there's a thing about Lemon.io, Ira. I'm just going to talk you and me. They have these developers who are, I think, almost all in Eastern Europe. They're vetted. They're less expensive than developers um, in in San Francisco. And frankly, I would bet that they're even less expensive than developers that you hire on your team. And you can get started with them really quickly. If anyone wants to just have a conversation with Lemon.io to see if it's a good fit, I urge you to use my URL. Because when you do, they're going to give you a discount if you decide to sign up with them. And they'll take great care of you. Frankly, they'll take good care of you even if you you say you hate me. But Using the URL will be good for me and get you a nice little discount on their already low service. So here it is. Go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. Here, I was was scrolling around for the prices here. Where an average developer uh, might cost $60 to $95 an hour, they would go $45 to $80 an hour. And they've got the 24-hour miraculous match guarantee. Get all that and so much more. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. All right, here comes my son down here. Oh, and he's got his lasso. Come to Texas, you got to get a lasso. <laughs> um, all right, kids. I've got 20 more minutes or so, maybe a little bit less. You're gonna play outside and you're gonna keep it quiet. All right, and then we'll do a video. Ira, this is. Uh, it's. It's okay. You guys can just lean that, up, pull it out, and then lean it up against the house. We're in a temporary place here. A, Get another Airbnb in uh, Austin. We keep moving around trying to figure out where we want to live. They just knock something out. Um, so we were talking about the difficulty and how you overcame it. What's one thing that you did that allowed you to grow as a leader?
1: I think realizing, A, that you need to reinvent yourself. You have to realize the fact that everything you learned that was, for example, good for running a 100 employees company would completely change in 200, completely change again in 300, and probably will continue completely changing in the future. And just realizing the fact that you need to be humble, always use advice from people who already went through these phases. Uh, And I think also try to surround yourself with management that actually... Had, has experience that you don't have, that are smarter than you in a lot of areas. Um, I think all of that really, really helped us. I have a co-CEO, which is a whole other thing that I think really helped me and him because we sort of complete each other in a lot of places, but that's very specific to us. So I don't know how... What's an
0: advisor? Who Who's an advisor that you turn to and what do you turn to them with?
1: So for example, we like to talk... Uh, in the early days we had a few conversations with the president of wix uh, who gave us some solid advice and other like the, like him uh, we added to the board at some point point. Uh, one of our board members currently is the former ceo of uh, godaddy uh, president uh, ceo and then ceo of godaddy gives us a ton of relevant advice for us so i think if you surround yourself with these type of people we also have Like in the company, our CFO was the chief, uh, was the VP Finance of Fiverr when they went through the IPO. uh, Chief strategy. It does
0: help that now Israel has this big ecosystem. All these people that you're mentioning were like non-existent as entrepreneurs ten years ago or so, and now they're they're incredibly successful. Fiverr's huge. Fiverr went from this little silly site of five dollar deals to an amazing resource. Like yeah. that is the go-to spot for businesses now to to get freelancers.
1: Yeah. And now we, by the way, also have the our chief uh, strategy officer also came from that. He was the VP of uh, uh, strategy in Fiverr as well because they have so a lot you give of me a specific experience.
0: specific you yeah, give me a specific thing that you got from bringing somebody in from Fiverr that allowed you to grow the business?
1: Wow. It's all of it. Like you, we're in a stage where we have a finance team that can support an IPO just because, you know, when you go through an IPO and you build another finance team, you just use the same practices and you see, you know, a company that knows how to handle a budget and have responsibility for initiatives, you know, back then it was like, I need five more employees in my team and I'm going to do this and this and this. And that when you build the right budget, like the way it should build it, then you're like, how are these people adding value that makes them worthwhile? Because it's really hard when uh, numbers become big to just blend right. everything in. Um, so it really gives everyone ownership of what they do. Um, and if you can prove there's value, well, the first one to invest. Uh, but it just brings so much structure into everything you do. Before that, everything was like hunches, gut feelings.
0: And this is all in like five years.
1: Yeah. Six yeah.
0: years now. So Nir Zohar, that's a guy from Wix who yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. So do you have an example of something that you took to Nir, an issue that he helped you think through?
1: Um, I think he helped us like realize what we want. Like he was I remember we came there and we told him our situation. It was like three or four years ago, and he was like, Okay, that sounds amazing. Like you guys are an amazing opportunity. Why do you want to grow more? And we were like, what? That's the obvious thing. No, we have an opportunity. We can grow. He said, are you guys sure you want to be like in my position right now? There's a lot that comes with growing to this size. We decided that the answer is yes, but it took us to a place where we had to consider why we're doing what we're doing. What is interesting about pushing forward, um, how the opportunity will look like. And these are things that we might've never considered otherwise.
0: It's not enough to just say, yes, we want to grow more because we want to serve more customers, make more money?
1: That's great. But personally, you know, you're at a situation where when we started, I would have told myself at this point, I would sit on a beach and drink Uh margaritas. But then you reach that stage and you just are so hungry to keep growing and seize the, the opportunity and work with more people and more contributors and serve more users. And you have to ask yourself why, you know? Why this drives you? What do you want out of it? Do you want to be a public company? Do you want to be a private company?
0: Do you want to be a public company?
1: I think it's inevitable at some point, um, but I think we need to figure out the right timing. We are we a cash flow positive business. We don't need to raise in you know, order to be sustainable ever since inception. And this is something that we already uh, said publicly. Um, so it would be a matter of like just size and opportunities that we'll see that will require us to raise public capitals. But um, I think it's inevitable, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. All right.
0: So then I don't, the part that I don't understand is why you got into FX home. Apple has final cut pro, right? One time payment. They also have iMovie, which is crappy, but then Adobe has their creative suite. Uh, What is it? DaVinci has a free app. That's really powerful. What are you bring? Why, why jump into this mix?
1: Because we believe that the same things we identified in the music licensing and asset licensing space exist in this space as well. So what I mean by that is Adobe and Final Cut and all of them are built for people who want to be editors. People who create content today don't want to be editors. Some of them don't know what the job of an editor is. They want to turn their ideas into video. But the tricky part is if you oversimplify it, then they reach a point where they have to drop to Adobe because they just want to create better, more things, and off to Final Cut. So what we believe that we will be able with FXOM that have very complex tools is to simplify it in a way that can open up to sort of a professional use, but start in a way that is very intuitive, very straightforward to people who don't want to learn a new profession. They just want to turn their video ideas into videos.
0: Okay, I get that. You're right, that there is this middle ground. Somewhere between you're using whatever free thing that you get on your phone or iPad or computer and the really expert stuff, uh, there is a hole. And so what's an example of something that FX Home does that makes it easier for that early div-
1: early editor to, to create? So we're still building the, that part. Why we believed in FX Home is because there aren't, aren't many companies out there that are not Adobe or Apple that have the professional side sorted like FX Home had when we acquired them. And that's the hard part. A lot of companies are building the smaller, simpler side of things. But supporting creation on like the professional level is extremely complicated. So we knew if we have this in our tool set, then working out, simplifying it, getting a way better onboarding experience for new users, but then figuring out how they can open new panels and create more and more all the way through if they want to create like Adobe Final Cut level production or DaVinci. Um, then we will have the ability to do it, which is not trivial. As I said, most of these companies no. um, are either Adobe or like extremely simple apps.
0: Like LumaFusion on the iPad. Super simple, makes it really tough to even edit to the beat because you can't really see where the beat starts. and Right? You're, you're, you know what I'm talking about.
1: Exactly. And then if we and we're planning on building everything from the ground up, we'll also have the ability to build something that we feel will be better for the new generation that can be almost a cloud experience where you can open your project from your phone to your laptop, to your desktop, include content in it so we can have it in the subscription that you have music and everything inside the software already, Um, include other cool things that we think are lacking, like suggestions and other cool stuff that other types of software have, but not video creation. Um, so yeah, we, we have a ton of ideas on how to make this, this, you know, disruptive.
0: What do you think about automation in it? I feel like, um, a lot of what, what creators show me when I look at how they edit their videos on YouTube is can be automated like cut to the beat for example right gopro has that app that they have quick they they bought that that's another israeli company i think yeah. they bought and all it does is cut every every action video you shot on your gopro to the beat but it doesn't allow you to create beyond that
1: and that's the problem people- there are a lot of these services that try to make these one click generator or right. video right we're not around people who want an end video we're around people who want the creative process. So right. there's a big difference between I just want to make a video out of this to I have an idea, I'm inspired, and I want to create this. So edit to beat automation is a great addition. It's like a great extra tool. But if you can't then manipulate it, maybe, you know, it's it, you, you right. can't really create with it. So maybe the right way about it is like, let's not set all, all cuts to the beat, but let's say if the cut is here and the bit is here, let's pop in a little suggestion saying, hey, we suggest moving the cut here, except for ah, the client. for yeah, example. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So you can yeah. automate
1: it in a way that is more creative, cautious, where you still have control yeah. as a creator.
0: Yeah, I see that. All right, I see where you fit in and I do see that that's a big hole and that is a problem. And it's... All right. One of the things that you, you told our producer was... Bootstrapping created an amazing mentality in you that you're
1: able to keep costs down, stay focused, learn things on your own. Am I right? I I stole this sentence that I'm going to say, but I really, really love it, is that uh, startup works for the investors and bootstrap work for the users. And I think Mm. that's something that kept with us, although we now have investors, um, that mentality of when we started, we paid salaries from users believing in us and our products. Meaning everything we do is around user satisfaction.
0: Meaning if the users aren't satisfied, we can't pay these people. So we better make sure that we're satisfying the users. Yeah, okay. the users so are the I see that. When you're at now that you've taken on money, more money than you will tell me publicly, which is fine. Um, I, I'm wondering then how did it change your mentality for the better? And where's the part that you that you miss?
1: You allow yourself to be more aggressive. Like we couldn't acquire two companies otherwise. Um, But at the other hand, I think we're still very, very efficient in the way we do everything. So we, we optimize for growth like any other growth company. But we try to do it in a very sustainable way where we don't have to run and raise capital in order to sustain the business. And I think that's something that is unique. And it's very much attributed to bootstrapping.
0: What about you personally? The fact that it's not all your money on the line, is that reassuring and calming a little bit? That's
1: the one of the biggest benefits of raising capital. <laughs> I think more that when you start as a bootstrap, you're like every dollar, come, you feel like it comes out of your pocket. Yeah. And then when you have investors, you become a bit detached and you're like, I have a role to play and I do need to serve all stakeholders. That includes all employees, that all of them have options, that mm-hmm. include everyone. And then you become more strategic, uh, more critical with your choice choices versus emotional.
0: All right. Well, congratulations. I had no idea Artlist was this big. To be honest with you, I just thought... Because you have competitors and many of them are pretty, they're sizable, but they're not as big as you are. And I just thought, here's another company in, in this batch of companies. I had no idea what was going on behind the business and I'm glad that I got to find out about it now. It's artlist.io still, no.com.
1: No.com. We'll, we'll stick into the IO. All future products will have IO as well. Uh, see. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll just run with it.
0: Doesn't seem to have hurt you any. All right, ArtList.io, and I'm grateful to the two sponsors who made this interview happen. If you're hiring developers, go to Lemon.io. Oh, they're also .io. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. They'll sign you up with a discount because you're coming for me. And when you're ready to pay your people right, even if you've already used a different service, switch over to Gusto right now or get started with Gusto right now. Go to Gusto.com slash Mixergy. can't believe ArtList.com is not even using their domain. That feels like squatting almost.
1: They don't right. use it, yeah.
0: They don't use it. What a what a pain for nothing. All right. (laughs) Congratulations though on what you've done with artlist.io as a domain and as a business. Thanks, Syrah, thanks. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.